You're listening to the Today in the Word radio podcast. This week, we bring you a five-part series of messages that George Slavin presented during Moody Week at Go Lake Bible Conference 1978. George Slavin was a Bible teacher and expositor and former pastor of Highland Park Baptist Church in Southfield, Michigan. Now, here is George Slavin on Today in the Word radio. In Deuteronomy, that's where we are tonight, chapter 33, just part of a text and another text. Deuteronomy 33, and this is the blessing wherewith Moses, the man of God, blessed the children of Israel before his death. And he said, The Lord came from Sinai, rose up from Seir unto them, shined forth from Mount Paran, came with ten thousands of saints. And from his right hand went a fiery law for them. Yea, he loved the people. All his saints are in thy hand. They sat down at thy feet. Everyone shall receive of thy words. Now, in the chapter before, Moses was asked to write a song. I never knew he was a songwriter. I wish somebody would put that chapter to music. David wrote some psalms, sent them down to the chief musician and put them to music. What kind of music it was, I do not know. No doubt Jewish music, Hebrew music. And after Moses wrote the song, he said in chapter 32, verse 46, Set your hearts unto all the words which I testify unto you this day, which you shall command your children to observe to do all the words of this law. For it's not a vain thing for you, it's your life. And through this thing you shall prolong your days, whither you go over Jordan to possess it. And the Lord said to Moses that same day, Get up to Mount Nebo, for you're going to die. Now, John Donne said years ago, For whom the bell tolls, and he pictures a funeral going through a little town, and the church bell is ringing. And as the funeral goes past, everybody stops. Some take off their hat. Some know the person. Some do not know the person. Finally, the funeral is gone, and they go back to work, except that John Donne says, one day the bell will toll for you. And all things being equal, if the Lord tarry, you will be on your way to the cemetery. And people will wonder, who was in that casket? A young girl? A teenager? An aged person? Somebody in the prime of life? For whom the bell tolls? Moses was told he was going to die. He's about the age of 120. Some die far younger than that. It's interesting as you watch men die in the Bible, and they write their last will and testament like Noah did. He blessed two sons and cursed one. And Abraham left all he had to Isaac and gave gifts to the other children that came from Keturah, but left everything he had, really, to Isaac. And Isaac called in his sons and would have blessed Esau, but he blessed Jacob. For Jacob was the man of God after God's own heart, and God loved Jacob. He did not love Esau. And then you read David as he blessed Solomon and Joseph with Manasseh and Ephraim. It's interesting to watch the blessings of God. Blessed are the meek, not the weak. Blessed are the poor in spirit, not the arrogant in spirit. Blessed are they that mourn, that is, over their sin, not take it for a big joke, provoke God with their riotous living. 
Blessed are they that hunger and thirst, but for righteousness. These are the blessings of the Lord. And as Moses gathers these sons together and the blessing comes upon each tribe, except Simeon is not mentioned here. What I'd like to see with you are these five simple things that Moses echoed. There went out a fiery law from God, the blessing of God's law. You say the law was a blessing? Oh, it was a blessing. When God gave it from Mount Sinai, he introduced it with a preamble of grace. This is my people, he said. I brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You are a peculiar people unto me, a kingdom of priests and kings. And then came the law, and that law that God gave is a good law. Oh, it was never given to save people. If you've tried to keep the Ten Commandments, and before I was saved, I tried to keep the Ten Commandments. I made resolutions. I didn't want to sin. I wanted to do what's right. And I found, as Paul said, the law that I thought might be under life if I kept it. I realized when you don't keep it, it was under death. But it's a good law. Its content is holy and righteous and good. And God gave it from Mount Sinai. Only gave Ten Commandments. Do you know we have millions of laws on the books in the nations? Millions. And we get down here in Congress and people are making new laws all the time. Don't do this, do this. Tax this, don't tax that. And God says, only gave you ten. That's really all you need. And they're perfect. They're good. They're good in content. They're negative. But God teaches the negative to teach the positive. And the negative, you can never break them or you sin. The positive, you can't keep all the time. But the negative, you can't ever break the commandments. I can't love God when I'm asleep, but I can never hate him at any time. And I can't be praising God when I'm asleep and keeping the Sabbath day, but I can never break it. When they gave the law, half of the children of Israel came to Mount Ebal and half upon Mount Gerizim. And when they uttered the Ten Commandments, the people on Mount Gerizim, called the Mount of Blessing, said, Blessed is the man who keeps that law. Blessed is he in the household, in the field, out there with the cattle. And when they uttered it, the other half said, But cursed is the man that breaks it in the field, in his household, with his children. Blessing and cursing. And as you look at this law, which is a blessing because it's the x-ray that reveals the sinfulness of sin. How do you know you're a bad person? Look at the law. Stand and measure yourself by it. Oh, a few years ago, the dentist blessed me by telling me I needed a root canal. If I didn't get it, I'd lose that tooth and a few others. Blessing? Oh, it was a blessing as I hold it now because my tooth is still there. And he put me upside down as they go, whatever they do. Up and down. I thought, oh, he's going all the way down. This way, up this way. But he did. You say, that was a blessing. It's a blessing now. And I'm glad for the law of God that showed me I was bad. So bad I needed a savior. Have the malignancy of sin in its terminal. And that law that starts out, I am the Lord thy God, here's the first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods beside me. Have me. It's like when you get married. No other girl but me. And some husbands who have no other girl don't have her. And they commit adultery, at least in the sense of infidelity, that they don't give her the affection and the love and the respect due to that vessel that's called the weaker vessel, not mentally, just muscle-wise. And some of them, I don't know about. <laughs> and I wasn't speaking of my wife. <clears throat> Back to the, and that commandment, which I say is negative, teaches the positive, love me. That's the first commandment. Now, supposing you say, but I don't feel like loving you. 
beside the point. Love him. Love's a matter of the will, not feelings. I don't feel like, so what? Love him. Imagine a first grader saying to its mother, I don't feel like going to school this week. What would you say? Out. Not a case of feeling, it's a case of going to school. I don't feel like eating. Eat. I don't feel like taking a bath. Dive in. <laughs> but you know, saints who see that with a child, they say, well, I don't feel led. Who said anything about feeling led? Do what he says. And how do you love him? He said, well, he that keepeth my commandments is he that loveth me. He that worships me loves me. He that obeys me loves me. It's the dig deer of the bond slave. Oh, Father, I come, said Jesus. In the volume of the book it is written to me, I come to do thy will. Why? Because I love the Father. That's why. We profess to be Christians. Hey, hear what the law saith. No other gods but him. No priorities but him. He brooks no rivals. He is not in competition. He is first. And that's the joy of being saved. Not getting up and saying, oh, I guess I got to obey. Hey, I'm in love with him. And when you're in love with a girl, you don't have to say, oh, I guess I got to see her tonight. We're engaged. I guess I have. Man, you're over there till you're paying board. And the second commandment which God gave was good. What is it? Don't make any graven image of God, of things in heaven, on earth, under the earth, and you bow down thyself to them, things you made, and serve them. How dumb can you be when you have to carve out a God, then put it on a pedestal and say, oh, God, I just made you. But you don't make any likeness of God, either with physical hands or up in the mental images in your mind. Do you ever have people say, quote, uh, George Burns type, God's a God upstairs like a man with a cigar and he laughs at a little hanky-panky. Hey, God's not like that. It's idolatry, forming God into your image. He's not like that. He's a holy God. And the commandment teaches, if I am not to make a graven image and bow down before it, I am to bow down before him. You know what worship is? Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. John 4, the father seeketh such to worship him. To the woman at the well, you worship, you know not what. To worship him is to adore him. To worship him is to admire him. In contemplation of his works, say, my father's world. He did all this. It's come to the house of the Lord and say, as Isaiah said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. Some say, no, I only saw the choir. It's not enough. Or I saw the preacher, he, he, his tie was crooked. It's not enough. You get your eyes on the author and finish of your faith. That's what the commandment teaches. Worship me in spirit and in truth. If you're not saved, you cannot worship him. You don't want to. You may come to church, <laughs> but you can't worship him until you're born again. And God's spirit is in you and deep cries unto deep. And the heart of a believer cries like the deer after the water brook with its flanks heaving and it's got to have water. Ah, that's the believer. Give me God or I die. For life is to know him. Not just to go to heaven. It's to know him. And the third commandment is don't take my name in vain. Take it. Don't take it in an empty, profane, irreverent, blasphemous manner. Jesus Christ and God damning people. We hear that out there all the time, and we did it. And then he changed us. Now, Jesus, oh, how sweet the name. And it is sweet. 
Take it in prayer. Our prayer closets are filled with cobwebs. Our hearts are filled with despondency and despair. God says, come on, sing a new song unto me. And uh, Mr. Dunlap will be writing one. I wish I could write song. I wish I could play the organ. Man, I'd like to express what's in me, but I cannot, so I listen and let them do it, and then in the shower I sing like an opera singer. <laughs> you know, like this stuff. <laughs> Take his name. And the names of God reveal who he is, and some don't know his names. I've got a lot of names. I have George. My mother used to call me that now and again. <laughs> I got Hey You, familiar name. I got some names I can't tell you about that my wife calls me. <laughs> I get Reverend. Down in Kentucky, they call me Revenuer. <laughs> I get Pastor. I get a lot of names. Hey, but each name describes me. I got some names out of my past that when I hear it, I turn around. That guy must have known me 50 years ago. What are your names, O Jehovah? That's his name. No other God has that name. There are no other gods. I am because I am. Jehovah Raha, the Lord, my shepherd. Jehovah El Gamola, the Lord God of vengeance. Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is there. Oh, the beautiful names of God. Use them. Remember the Sabbath day. Make it a holiday. No, a holy day, a holiday, a holy day. I set it apart for you, but for myself. Use it wisely. You work six days. Don't work on that. Well, I've got to go to work. Who said? Well, if you've got to milk the cows, that's understandable. You've got to give us light. That's understandable. But to work because of double time, faker, they made me. They didn't make you. You ask for the double time. Remember the Sabbath day. Then the other ones I'll not go through because of time, but honor your mom and dad. Don't always agree with mom and dad. They're not always right. But if you dissent, do it with respect. I disobey. I mean, I dissent with a lot of policemen a lot of times when I see them holding traffic and I say, I wouldn't have done it that way, but I respect. <laughs> I do it his way. I don't stick my tongue out as I go past you. Not me. <laughs> I great respect for the, that blue cloth. You understand? Honor your mom and dad. Honor them like you would the president. If he came in, whether you're Republican or just say, oh, it's Mr. President. Give him the respect to his office. That's mom and dad. Honor your mom and dad. And that takes discipline, that takes understanding, and takes love. And a wise woman builds her house upon seven pillars, but a foolish woman tears it down. It takes no brains to tear down a building. Just hit it with a big concrete ball or whatever, and down it goes. You say, what are you? I'm a tear-downer. takes time to build. It takes thinking and blueprints. But the next commandment is, thou shalt not kill. What do you think that means? Well, it certainly doesn't mean mosquitoes. Certainly doesn't mean chicken, because I had it for dinner. And if that's murder, I'm guilty. Oh, it's not talking about that. Or plants. You say, I'm a vegetarian. Hey, you eat the celery. It's talking about human life made in God's image. Premeditated murder, not accident. Not manslaughter in the sense that your axe head came off and killed him. Hey, you're guilty of negligence, but not murder. Murder is planned. Don't take another person's life. But it doesn't only teach that. God gave a law that said, come on, you're your brother's keeper. If you're not to murder him, help him. If he needs a coat and you've got two, give him one. Well, don't just deal with coats. It may be a job. 
It may be some food. It may be some fellowship. It may be some comfort. Is my brother in need? Who is my neighbor? The one you can help is your neighbor. That close. That's what that commandment teaches. And the next one is thou shalt not commit adultery. God ordains sex and emotions, but under proper relationship. And if you take it out of that relationship, you are in trouble with God and society and with yourself. No sin to take money and spend it. It's sin if you take my money and spend it. No sin for me to take my wallet and say, oh, it's a nice little wallet. It's got a lot of ones that make it stick out. And you come up and start patting it, you're in trouble. No harm for me to put my arm around a woman, kiss her, embrace her, if it's my wife. But if it's your wife, I'm in trouble. So get your hands off. We used to tell our daughters, we had three, hey, girl, you put the brakes on. You say to the boy, aus mit you. It's Greek. <laughs> In any language, it means out. <laughs> Thou shalt not steal. Why, Lord, do you say that? Because I want you to be honest. Diogenes with his lantern looking for a righteous, honest man. Did you find him, Diogenes? No, didn't find any. Any honest men, honest with God. So they say, you can look at my record of giving, Lord. You taught me to tithe and beyond. That's yours. I will not touch it. Can a man rob God, Malachi 3? They rob him of tithes and offerings. Rob him. That's like seeing a tip left for the waitress, and you sit at the table, and you grab it. You thief. People do that with God. Be honest with God and honest with yourself. Look in the mirror of God's Word. You're dirty? Confess it. Got a big tongue? Ask God to control it. Then the next commandment is, Thou shalt not bear false witness. Tell the truth. It's a legal term. You raise your right hand. Don't tell a half-truth. Had an accident last Saturday, and the boy hit me as he came through, as far as I was concerned, the red light. And as soon as he, we stopped and got over, he says, I came through the green light. Both of us didn't go through the green light. Bear false witness. So what do you gain? Become a liar and untrustworthy. Tell the truth. Be valiant for it. And the last commandment's the greatest of the last six. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's ox, ass, manservant, maidservant, daughter, anything that belongs to your neighbor. Don't covet it. What does it teach? Godliness with contentment is great gain. There went out a fiery law from God, a consort of the promise. For God made a promise through Abraham long before Moses and the law. What was the promise? In thy seed shall all people be blessed. What does that mean? The seed is Christ. Why do they need blessing? Ask the law. He'll walk alongside the promise and not save but condemn. Not heal, but show the need for healing. And when you see the law and say, Oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner, then that promise in Christ will forgive you your sins. That's the law. A schoolmaster, but unto Christ. And when you are born again, the joy of being saved is not only a new relationship, but a new heart where he takes the law, which was on tables of stone, and now writes it on the tables of your heart. And when you're in love, you make the law fold, filled with meaning. Now, there's a law in Michigan, I think, that I have to support my wife. Man, I don't get up every day and say, I'm going to try to keep that statuette dear. I will support you. Man, in loving her, I fulfill that statuette. Put it on the books or take it off. I will fulfill it in love. And when you love your neighbor, you can't hate him. 
You can't covet that girl, that woman, not if you love them and love him in proper love. A fiery law went out. Hey, that's a blessing of God, a blessing in disguise that shows you the cure after it shows you the malignancy. But there's a second thing it says. Yea, it says he loved the people. Got to talk about that for a moment. We have a text in the Bible that says God is love. You believe that? Yeah, you say, I believe that. What does that mean? God is love. That's a little abstract. It doesn't mean a thing unless you know who God is, unless you know what love is, unless you know how he loves and whom he loves and whom he does not love. Oh, you say God loves everybody. Satan? Well, you say, oh, but Satan. It's one. God loves everybody. Judas? Esau? The wicked? Oh, come on. God's love, hold it now, is consistent with his being. I can only love consistent with my being. I'm a limited being, so my love is limited. God is righteous. He will never love unrighteousness. Never. Scepter of his kingdom is a scepter of righteousness. Got that? God is holy. He will only love holiness. God is truth. He will not love error. God is faithful. He will not love infidelity. What does it mean when it says God so loved the world he gave his son? Because to love them, and he could not because of their sin, he provided all that he could love in Jesus Christ. That's righteousness, faithfulness, fidelity, and truth and holiness. So that when a person is saved, it's not because God says, Oh, you were so good, I loved you. I loved you in my son, only in my son. He that hath the Son hath God's life. And if anybody rejects Jesus Christ, as far as I know the Bible, there is no love of God for them. I'm quoting Hebrews 10. If we sin willfully, sin of unbelief, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, then for you that do that, there is no more sacrifice for sins but a certain fearful looking for a fiery indignation and wrath which shall devour the adversaries. For if a man in Moses' day died without mercy before two and three witnesses for picking up sticks on a Sabbath day, what's going to happen to the person who tramples underfoot the blood of an everlasting covenant, does despot to the spirit of grace, crucifies the Son of God afresh? Our God is a consuming fire. God loves everybody. God loves everybody in Jesus Christ. And if you aren't in Christ, there is no love of God for you. Does that strike you kind of hard? God's love is a sovereign love. He loved the Jew, not the Assyrian. He loved the Jew, not the Egyptian. He loved the Jew, not the whatever. He loved the Jew and says in Deuteronomy 7, I loved you. And in Amos 3, 2, you only have I loved of all nations. Understand that? I'm not going to argue with God. He's sovereign. You realize that in Esther's day, the king only chose one girl to be queen. That's Esther. It's not fair. He chose Esther. He's a king. Stand before God, he's a king. And you'll say with Paul later on, I am what I am, by the grace of God. His is a gracious love. He does not have to love anybody. He doesn't have to. Nobody merits it. That's what grace is. But in his grace, in his grace, he calls the Jew. In his grace, before the babies were born, he says, Jacob, by love. Never mind about Esau. He didn't have to love Jacob, but he did. 
David is a man after my own. David, David, don't touch the Lord's anointed. It's David. If you ask me to explain this to you, I can't explain it. I love my wife. Out of the thousands of girls that, well, so I'm a dreamer. But I had the right to say, not you, Mary, not you, Alice, not you. But you, will you be my wife? You say, you had that right? I'm sovereign, limited, but in my own being, God is sovereign. His is a gracious love. His is a chastening love. Whom the Lord loves, he chastens. Chastening is not always spanking. Sometimes it's teaching, instruction, sometimes preventative. He loved the Jewish people and protected them and gave them a law, not only moral, but priesthood, spiritual laws. God did that. And it says in Hosea, when Israel was a child, then I loved him. Not when they were an adult. Not when they said, now we're ready. Ah, when you're like a little baby. Ezekiel 16 says a woman had a baby and didn't want it through in a field. Illegitimate. Went her way and there's the baby unwashed, unclean, unnamed, unholy. And nobody wanted it. The nations passed by and says, who loves the Jew? They have all the money. Look at them. And God says, I do. And I picked up the baby and I gave it my name, Israel. Prince with God, gave it my garments and clothed it. And one day that young girl became a woman. Now formed into a woman, she looked in the mirror and said, my, how pretty I am, and forgot that her comeliness came from him. And so she played the harlot, and then he chastened her. Whom he loves, he chastened. And Hebrews 12 says, if you're without that kind of chastening, you are illegitimate. For God is no liar. Whom he loves, he chastens. God's love, yea, he loved the people. And when you accept Jesus Christ, you say, here in his love, not that I loved you, right? That's right, says God. But I loved you, and herein is my love. Christ is the propitiation for your sins. And when you accept him, you will be accepted in the beloved. You know what it means to be accepted in the beloved? The little dog came sniffling around the house, and they wouldn't let it in, and the youngster went out to play with it, and finally at the end of the day, he came in and stood at the door and said, Mom, and there's the puppy, crummy-looking puppy. And they said, Well, you can come in, but not the dog, and he cried, and they loved him. So finally, you know what parents are? The dog came in, accepted in the beloved. Man, I'm a puppy. I'm a goyim called a dog. How can I get saved? My background is idolatry. My parents were Amorites and Hittites and the rest. And God says, accept my son, and I'll take all my wrath against you, deservedly so, and levity upon him, and you will be accepted in the beloved. Yea, he loved the people. Fiery law, his love. But notice the third thing. All his saints are in thy hand. Now, the hands of a man or a woman are fascinating Use them in nonverbal communication. There are 25-some thousand signs you use in nonverbal communication. Sometimes just the inflection of a voice. When you say, she's a nice girl, and somebody replies, she's a nice girl? And just the way you said it makes a question mark. Uh, how do you like Jones? You say, Jones? And just the way you did it said you don't like him. Here's the hands. Sometimes the hands of a surgeon. I've never been operated on except that dentist. But imagine the hands of a surgeon that open you up. And I saw one operation in my whole life. That's a fascinating thing. Four hours I watched it. I said to the surgeon, I may faint. He said, we'll take care of you. 
And they did. And they opened and they sewed and they sponged and whatever. And I thought, wow, that human body picked up the intestines and moved them over like this and pointed out there's his goal, there's his heart. Yeah, watching this. And hey, all the saints are in his hands. What kind of hands does God have? Oh, not physical, but the hands of the creator. (laughs) Somebody said in thinking of Jesus, I see his blood in every rose. And in the stars, the glory of his eyes. His body gleams like the eternal snows. His tears fall from the skies. I see his cross in every tree, his crown in every thorn, his love that makes men free, his grace in men newborn. Yeah, you see, this is my father's world. Imagine looking at a Rembrandt and saying, oh, it all happened by chance. Is that so? Yeah, pigment flew around, colors. Over billions of years on pieces of canvas that came together and look. I say, get out of here. An artist made that. Do you know I am fearfully and wonderfully made by the hands of a creator? I really am. I'm not much to look at, but I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I have an eye, two of them, not one, so I get a little perspective. And it's set in a socket of bone. Going to hit it now. Haha, didn't even touch it. How come? Protected. Little brushes to keep off perspiration. Windshield wipers. (laughs) I take pictures. Now when I have my camera, oh, there's an airplane, fix it at infinity. And now I want to take a close-up. Wait a minute, takes it. Oh, you go to weddings. One more, click, click, click. My eyes take the airplane, look at print, develop them in color, and don't go to the drugstore and say, I'll have these by Thursday. Hey, right away. (laughs) Who made me, my father? With an ear that listens to sounds and has a little hammer and stirrup in there like a piano, like this, and wax to catch mosquitoes. Gotcha. <laughs> little fluid so I don't keep going around like this. Who did this? You say it all happened by chance. Is that so? <laughs> My father. And in his providence, he said to the Jew, I created you. There were no Jews, only Gentiles. And God created the Jew. Isaiah 43. And he didn't only create them, he formed them. He made them into Israel, from a Jacob, a cheat, to a man that wrestles and prevails with God and becomes a prince with God. Who did that? My father. Cloud by day, fire by night, protecting them, preserving them. Curse the Jew, I'll curse you. Bless them, I'll bless you. Doesn't mean they're perfect, it's just that God is just God. Imagine making a giraffe. Somebody said a committee did it. No, God did it. Imagine making a skunk. He did it. Now, why did he do that? (laughs) Just to remind us that we need deodorants, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) Take a bath. Great God. It's the hand of the shepherd with a crook and the staff, his rod and his staff. They comfort me. It's the hand of the physician. Oh, how marvelous he was. Touching the lepers and they were cleansed. And the man that was born blind and touched his eyes and said, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And he went and came seeing. The hand that grabs a Peter when he says, Master, I pray. Hey, come on, take my hand. Great hand of a physician. Hey, all his saints are in his hands. It's the hands of the master. Peace be still. (laughs) And the sea gets calm. It's the hands of the Savior. It's interesting to note somebody said you can never 
commit suicide by crucifixion. Can't do it. Gotta have your hands nailed, and you can't do both of them. Oh, let God crucify you. And Jesus put out his hands and his side, and his, he suffered. It's the hands of the Savior, and it's the hands of the teacher. It's the hands of the Master. All his saints are in his hands, and underneath are everlasting arms. That's the answer to philosophy. What's the ultimate that explains the particulars? The hands of God. Says the man to the carburetor, where did it come from? What explains the carburetor? Oh, the car. What explains the car? The factory. What explains the factory? The company. What explains the company? Men. What explains man? God. And if you don't reach the particular to that universal, you have nothing. Absolutely nothing. Show me thy hands. All the saints are there. If you're saved, you're in the hands of God. Young person, delight in it. That's the adventure of faith. Before I was saved, used to read a lot. Used to read a lot of romantic books when I was a kid. Three Musketeers, 20 Years After, Ivanhoe, da-da-da-da-da-da. Remember those? Then I got saved. I thought, oh, now I can't. Well, here, wear black underwear, black shirts. <laughs> no. Man, I am... I have a whole armor of God in my wardrobe, and you put it on every day and say, man, let's go. And you take the sword of the Spirit, and somebody bumps you and say, da-da-da-da-da. Right there. Not to hurt him, just to show him that God's the great physician and the great healer. But he adds this too. They sat down at thy feet. Now, not everybody will sit at his feet. But some in the Bible did, and it's interesting to find out who they were. Well, who sat at his feet? Well, the lepers came and fell at his feet. Said, Lord, if you will, you can make us clean. And he said, I will. Be thou clean. Well, what cleanses a man? We sing it. What can wash away my sin, Father? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. Sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. The lepers. Leprosies, there's different types. Six symbols, sim symptoms. It can be a raw spot like my blister, if you can see it. It can be a dead spot. Stick yourself with a pin and there's no feeling. It can be a bald, but not all baldness was leprosy, thank the Lord, but some was. And as he looked at these, these lepers that had to put a thing over their face and cry unclean, that were Levitically put aside and couldn't enter into the worship, and imagine eating out of garbage pails, and you came near people, you had to cry unclean, and they, they shuddered and went away lest you touch them. These men came and said, Lord, if you will, make us clean. And he said, I will. You know what it means to be cleansed from all your sin? have no guilt anymore, false or real guilt. You've taken Christ and that's enough. There was a woman that washed his feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. And the Pharisee said, boy, if you knew who this was, you wouldn't let her do that. And Jesus said, do you see the woman, Simon? Well, I see her, of course. He said, I came in, you gave me no water for my feet. She's washed it with her tears. Her sins, which are many, are forgiven. She sat at his feet and found forgiveness. Another Mary, maybe the same one, came and worshipped him with her alabaster box, spread it open and broke it, and the ointment filled the house. And some of the more covetous said, well, if we had kept that money, you know, we're stewards. You ever hear this on a trustee meeting? We're stewards. And Come on, nothing's too good for him. 
And everywhere the gospel is preached, they'll tell the story of the alabaster box and a woman who anointed his body for the burial. Great understanding. She sat at his feet while Martha was busy in the kitchen and giving dirty looks to Mary. And, and Mary's sitting there at the book, you know, and finally she, glad she went to the Lord, said, Lord, you tell Mary to come and help me. And the Lord said, Martha, Martha, you're so busy about common little things, but Mary's chosen the better part, and nobody's going to take it away from her. That's the smallest group that Jesus ever taught, a Sunday school class of two and only one listened. <laughs> but he was faithful. Sit at his feet. Yeah, they sat at his feet. Disciples sat there and drank in every word he had, and he taught them the Beatitudes, their blessing. I like the Beatitudes. Blessed, 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 blessed. Therefore, if you're not meek, you missed it. If you're hungry only for food, you missed it. If you're not a peacemaker but a peacebreaker, you missed it. Blessed are they that are persecuted, but for righteousness' sake. Well, the last thing is this. Everyone shall receive thy word. I hold in my hand the Bible. It's called Revelation, God revealing things to us we could not know apart from this book. Now, there are things in history. There was a Caesar Augustus. I could know that, but I couldn't know why he taxed in the providence of God. There was a Pilate, but I couldn't know why he washed his hands and wouldn't listen to his wife. This book reveals God, and without it, you can't know him. And if I hide this Bible from me, you couldn't tell me one thing about God truly. You would not know. God is love. That's true, but the Bible says it. God is holy, but the Bible says it. God is spirit, but the Bible says it. This is a book of revelation and a book of what we call inspiration. God guiding the authors, the writers, 40 different writers or more who didn't know each other, most of them, over a period of 1,500 years, no collusion. And it fits together like a jigsaw puzzle. When you take all the pieces, it fits one book, the content amazing. And as you study the Bible with the witness of Jesus Christ, every jod, not jot, J-O-D, smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet, looks like an apostrophe mark. Aleph, Beth, Gimel, get the jod. And a tittle, the difference between two letters that look alike except one has a little bend in it and the other square. That's a tittle. It's like an O and a Q. Makes a tittle, that thing. Every jot and every tittle will be fulfilled. Testimony of Jesus Christ. Some man said to me once, Bible's full of mistakes. Well, I said, either you're a liar or Jesus is, and guess whom I'm going to believe? <laughs> not you. Not you, you don't know. Fulfilled prophecy, not once. Not a bone of him will be broken. Amazing statement when they crucify, and when you're not dead, break your legs above the knee bone. Break the thigh bone, says history, with a sledgehammer. Not Jesus. Why? Not a bone of him will be broken. No man took his life. He laid it down and took it up again. Amazing prophecy. And this Bible, every believer receives it. Why? Because you can't know that Bible unless you have the illumination of the Spirit of God. Natural man doesn't understand. It's like me talking to you. If you don't know Greek, and I said, you say, what's that? I'd say Greek. You say, I don't know Greek. Yeah. What it says is, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Oh, you say, I know that. Well, you can't know God unless He comes into your range of reference in a language you can understand. And He does that by the Holy Spirit, telling you about Jesus who entered our range of reference. See Him, you see the Father, full of grace and glory and truth. Illumination, then after you get saved, everybody receives thy word, then emphasize what you heard this morning. Then no man can live by bread alone, but by how many words? How many? 
Every word. You mean Genesis? Yeah, Genesis. You don't mean Chronicles? Chronicles. You don't mean Revelation? Revelation. Every word. Every word. And you have the laws of interpretation, which are just as basic as the laws of football. Imagine me telling some men that in the seventh inning, he kicked the field goal and made three points. You say, son, it can't be. Well, that's your interpretation. No, it's the interpretation of baseball and football and the rest of it. This Bible has interpretation. Who said it? That's what you find out first. And to whom was it said? And what went before and what went afterward? What kind of language was used? And what was the verb and the noun and the predicate and the subject? And then you put it all together and say, that's what it says. Right. My name is George Slave. That's your interpretation. We had a little girl on the end of service. She was 17, came from Greece, I learned later. Beautiful girl, Greek. And when I tried to talk to her about the gospel, I guess seven or eight times she kept saying, that's your interpretation. And I was getting a little red. That's your interpretation. I said, what's your name? And she said, Angela somebody. And I said, it's your interpretation. I said, where were you born? She said, in Athens. I said, your interpretation. And now she began to get red. I said, do you see what you were doing? You weren't answering any arguments. You were just escaping with that's your interpretation. So when I began to do it, you got embarrassed. Hey, this is the word of God. And if you say that's your interpretation, that's based on the laws of interpretation. That's the word of God. This book is to be read, memorized, applied, lived. It becomes your life. Not a letter of the law. It's simply you're in love with him, and this is your communication. This is it. The Word of God. Now, there are methods of Bible study. Expository preaching is going through and exposing what it says, naming the anatomy and every piece in it. Then there's what we call biographical study. And you want to have some fun? Buy a, I used to be a nickel. Buy a copy book, which is a dollar and a half. <laughs> I don't know what they cost. Get a concordance. That's a tool. Look up the name of a person and cut out every scripture out of two old Bibles, because you need two, sometimes you need both pages, and stick it in the copy book. You have everything the Bible says about that person. Like Abraham, name occurs about 300 times. He's in Genesis. He's in the Psalms. He's in Romans and Hebrews, Galatians. And you put it all together, and you become an expert on Abraham. That's right. You do it. Or in some subject like blood or whatever, and you become a Bible student. Why? Because everyone shall receive of thy words. In closing, there were 5,000, and they had nothing to eat. And a boy had some loaves and fishes, and Jesus said, Give ye them to eat. And Philip and the others said, What's the little loaf and fish against so many people? Jesus blessed it, and then they gave. They distributed and had 12 basketfuls left over. Hey, if I came to you and I was hungry for God, could you give me something to eat? You say, All I know is John 3.16. Hey, that's enough. Say, all I know is Psalm 23. Hey, that would bless me. You could know more. You could give more if you and I would study. Everyone who's born again, who has illumination, who has God's spirit, everyone shall receive of thy words. Moses gave his blessing and turned to the 12 tribes. And I can't go through those. But Jacob had turned to those 12 tribes and he had said of Reuben, oh, Reuben, you're, un, you're unstable as water. Moses later on says, oh, let Reuben live, and let not his days be few. If Moses would hear, was here, would you like his blessing? You say, aye, I would like that. If Jesus was here, would you like his blessing? You say, yes, I would. Well, there's his blessing. 
a fiery law. Learn the commandments. They don't save. They reveal what God wants from us and point us to Jesus Christ. Remember his love. It's found in Christ for you. And third, remember his hand and sit at his feet. And then take the blessing of God's word, which is rich and abundant and true and settled forever in heaven. You've been listening to the Today in the Word radio podcast and one of five messages George Slavin presented during Moody Week at Gull Lake Bible Conference 1978. George Slavin was a Bible teacher and expositor and former pastor of Highland Park Baptist Church in Southfield, Michigan. Audio copies of this and many other messages from the podcast are available at moodyaudio.com. Today in the Word Radio is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of the Moody Bible Institute.